it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, 
Explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where we explore how brands and retailers understand and engage consumers in a digitally driven world. I'm PVSB, and when I'm not co-hosting this podcast... I work as the Vice President of Partner Strategy and Development at Fetch Rewards Mobile Loyalty Platform. While I'm usually joined by my co-host, Shri, a.k.a. the Lord of Los Angeles, he's on vacation attending his older daughter's college graduation in New York. So in his place, we have a familiar voice to this audience. She's part of our Fresh Four Collective and the founder and CEO of Alum Group, a new company that equips and empowers consumer brand professionals with the expertise and community needed to sustainably win in e-commerce. Please say hello to my dear friend, Andrea Lay. Andrea, how you doing? I am great. I'm really excited to be here today and really excited to chat with Dave. Oh, I know. It's going to be a wonderful conversation. But uh, before we get to our guest, Andrea, as I mentioned, we've talked about this on our LinkedIn channel. Um, Alum Group, this is new. Why don't you share with our audience a little bit about this business that you recently launched? Thanks, Peter. Yeah, we launched, uh, formally launched last month, but but have been working hard for for a few months getting things set up. We are a learning company for uh, professionals. We focus on e-commerce and digital education. Courses can be taken online through our website or uh, via private workshops. And we actually have our first course is free right now for a limited time. So Amazon and e-commerce fundamentals, you can access for free on our website. Andrea, I already signed up for it and I'm through about a third of the module. So thank you. It is a, it is an absolutely delightful tool for education. So I can't wait to complete it this weekend. And thank you for making mention that to our audience. Go to, and where do they go? It's alumgroup.com? Alumgroup.com, yep. Perfect, all right. Well, thanks, Andrea, and to our audience. Uh, Make sure you're following the CPG guys on LinkedIn. We publish a great deal of content beyond just the podcast episodes, and you'll find it all on LinkedIn. Just use the app, because that's how most people get to it, or use linkedin.com on a browser, and just search for CPG guys in the search box. And when you find our page, just click the blue follow button. Best part about it? Doesn't cost nothing. It's all free. So a few other items to mention. I want to make sure that you follow our sister podcast, the FMCG Guys, which takes our format over to Europe and speaks with fast-moving consumer goods luminaries across the pond. You can find them on all major podcast platforms simply by visiting fmcgguys.com. Lastly, the CPG Guys are partnered with Next Up, formerly known as Network of Executive Women, whose mission is to advance all women in business. Next Up is 19,000 members strong. To learn more about the resources and networking opportunities they offer, visit nextupisnow.org slash CPG Guys. You know, by the, having that slash CPG Guys, that means we're like official, Andrea. Can you believe it? Like we're not just it. kidding. That we're actually we have our own we have our own landing page. I love it. Um, so on to uh, why we have the episode today. Let's get to the topic at hand. Our guest today is someone I met five years ago. I've really been excited to have him on the podcast because he is one of the OGs when it comes to retail media. He spent twelve years of his career at Target, most notably as the founding director of. Cartwheel, which started as a standalone mobile app and has since been integrated into the Target app experience. In 2016, he left Target to found 
Digits, a retail media agency with specialty in grocery, digital media, coupons, search, and digital shelf. Here to speak with us about my partner Shree's favorite topic, retail media, is my friend Dave Glaza. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Good to hear from you guys. I uh, I don't I don't know if your OG comment is supposed to make me feel like old or if the industry is so so young and new, um, which which I, I like because uh, it's uh, it's it's a fun to be in. Oh, it's meant com- with complete reverence. Uh, we're greatly appreciative. You have some tremendous experience, and we're looking forward to talking to you about it. Hey, Dave. Before we get to the questions that Andrea and I have prepared and, and we wheel out the big spotlight to shine down on you and get you all nervous. No, we don't we don't work like that. We're 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 all cuddly and friendly here. Don't worry about us. But would you give us a brief overview of digits? Uh how, and particularly how your agency works with brands and retailers and and of course where we can find you on the web. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we are a retail media agency, uh, digitsagency.com, or you can just find me on LinkedIn, David Glaza. And we we specialize in retail media and really got our start, um, not surprisingly, sort of at Target, um, as I know we'll, we'll talk about later. A lot of my experiences at Target and a lot of my teams as well. And so um, a big piece of our business is helping brands into Target sell more product, uh, really take advantage of all the digital tools available at Target um, to, to push more business. We have since extended that to some other retailers as well, but it's a Target sort of our um, our home base, if you will. And then we also work uh, for some retailers directly. Um, so we, just like myself and a few members of my team, we used to help you know do that at Target. We now do that for some regional grocery stores. And so we're helping them build out uh, their first party media platforms, um, be on-site to off-site uh, programs for some of that grocery world. So we have expertise in the uh, omni-channel digital grocery, sort of from both sides of the spectrum, the brands and the retail side. Thanks, Dave. That's great. I'm going to put into the digital liner notes of this podcast episode links to your website to your LinkedIn profile that makes it easier for our audience to multitask while they're holding their mobile phone and going on their Saturday morning walk uh, and find your content so that they can follow along. So that's great. Why don't we get to the questions? We've got some great ones. I'll kick it off and Andrea will follow. Dave, for the first nine years of your tenure at Target, you held a series of what I would probably best describe as traditional retail roles in merchandising, planning, and operations. In 2012, you moved to a team that would ultimately launch the Cartwheel digital coupon app. Would you walk us through the genesis of Cartwheel and what made it so revolutionary? Yeah, that um, absolutely. I think for me, it was a that was an amazing time and it was a, a ton of fun to sort of build that. I think. Just to, to ground in sort of my my past there, I was a, a store side merchant, uh, bounced around from candy to apparel to home goods, et cetera. And so I had a ton of knowledge on sort of what made the target business work. And moving to Cartwheel specifically, you have to kind of rewind your brain a bit for 2012 when um, the mobile phone, specifically the iPhone, was still pretty new. And it sounds odd to think of the fact that um, People didn't really have that figured out yet. Um, there was this thing called apps that was being uh, developed. Angry Birds was popular, and uh, people like Target were, were trying to figure out well, what, what do you do about that. Um, 
And so Target had this business relationship with sort of with Facebook, right? And they were trying to build as many Facebook likes as possible. They were really trying to build out their following on social. And you know, the idea around Carwheel really incubated in Target's social team. And so they have a lot of credit for, for building that out. And they, they launched the program with the idea of it. And then I was really brought in to think about, well, how does this thing actually make, how does this make money, right? Like, how does this drive business for Target? How do we monetize this with brands? Um, what kind of deals do we want to run, et cetera? And so that was my role um, in the program, helping a lot of that figured out uh, before we launched it. And, you know, really when we launched Cartwheel, it was a standalone app. It was a, a coupon app primarily. But what the secret sauce, I think, was is that it connected into the Facebook graph. And so it was one of the first type of a program with retail um, that you could actually see what coupons your friends wanted to download. And so when, you know, we'd have a hot deal, you would see, oh, Dave, Dave added that coupon or Peter added that coupon. Like, let's, we all go to Target and buy it this weekend. So it became immensely shareable. Um, and everybody, and it felt very personal, even though the coupon itself was maybe good for anybody that had the app, it just felt so personal because you saw your friends' pictures on it, you saw their names on it, and it made you want to use it. Um, so it adopted really fast. Um, it really took off like a rocket, I would say, um, within the first you know couple of months um, and turned to this really big lever uh, for Target um, and for, for Cartwheel itself that was a little beyond what people thought it was going to be right away, which was awesome. Um, that is really interesting. And I loved the reference to Angry Birds because it's been a really long time <laughs> since I've heard, <laughs> heard that. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, so the rise of retail media at some of these omni-channel retailers has been explosive. I think we can all agree over the last couple of years. Um, so what do you think this means for brands? And do you think that some of the digitally native um, or vertical brands are like more poised to win and why or why not? Yeah, good question. And I think, you know, retail media in general, especially for omni-channel, um, from a pure function point of view, it's really the same as what used to be just thought of as weekly ads or end caps or shelf signs. Um, and it serves that same sort of function, you know, within a brand. I think it, it's the same in that idea that brands have been trying to buy eyeballs, you know, forever, if you will, right? You put money behind buying a sales plan or an end cap. Um, but now what's different with retail media is to me, from a brand side, it really just makes the access so much easier. So you can be a, a brand new brand to target in 200 stores piloting against, you know, a PNG of the world. And you can buy the same exact shelves, like digital shelf space as PNG can buy. And they're a brand that's, you know, doing hundreds of millions or, or whatnot. And so really to me, it, it sort of has leveled the playing field uh, between your established brands and your, your newer brands um, on the digital business. And so it's helped them really compete head to head. Um, so I think, Digitally native brands in our experience have definitely gotten a faster start um, sort of in retail media and they're sort of set up to win because that's what they, they know how to do um, on the digital side. Um, even though their budgets and dollars are smaller, they're sort of set up to use their budgets in the right way. Um, and they kind of can compete with the big boys um, a lot faster and a lot easier um, than they may have been, you know, 10 years ago um, when it was all just in-store traffic and sales. So I couldn't agree with you more, Dave. Uh, I think about these big omni-channel scaled brands. And whenever you talk to a sales leader, they're always bemoaning the fact that their share on the digital shelf on, on sites like Amazon is nowhere near what it is in 
traditional brick and mortar. And of course, you know, they've spent their whole existence building up all of the infrastructure and capabilities to win on the physical shelf, category management capabilities, broker product cut-ins, and they need a whole new skill set to win on the digital shelf. So uh, I, I absolutely agree. So to that end, I want to talk a little bit about in this omni-channel world, what, from your perspective, do brands need to succeed, uh, both from a capability standpoint? And I think about like that chief MarTech landscape map that come, they just published the latest one a couple of weeks ago, 9,000 suppliers. So there's a plethora of service providers. There's also agencies like yourself. There's a lot of this. But then there's also the internal talent, which is kind of the stuff Andrea's dealing with. What, you know, what, from your perspective, is the right mix that, that brands need to kind of succeed in, in this new omni-channel world? Yeah, good question, Peter. I think, um, you know, to me, it's a lot of it starts sort of with mindset. Um, and I, I'll talk about that a little bit. But if you have the right mindset, I think, as a brand, then a lot of the other stuff sort of flows with it. And so, um, you know, brands hire us and they use retail media because they want to grow faster than the average. I mean, that's the whole reason you're putting money into retail media. It's the whole reason you're putting money into an agency. And so, you know, our job is to help the brand earn a higher percentage of potential shoppers than they would naturally earn. Um, and so we're fighting for that sort of last bit of shoppers that aren't sure yet maybe what they want to buy. Um, so we try a thought exercise a lot with some of our um, omni-channel partners. And is if you thought of the store like a warehouse, you know, what would you do differently, right? Like for as great as stores Target and Walmart are and Costco are, like they're, they're just products on a shelf. There's nobody standing there directing you, trying to tell you, you know, what litter to buy or what milk is the best one to buy. So like your job as a brand, if you think of your job as not just selling it into the shelf, but your job is also selling it out to the shopper, then you are set up, setting yourself up in a way to try to earn more piece of those sales. Um, and in reality, you know, you don't have to earn every single piece sale because there's a lot of traffic going in and out of these big box stores that somebody's going to find your product. But if you have the mindset of trying to earn every single share sale and, you know, whether that's from awareness or conversion, then I think these brands are sort of setting up in the right way. Um, in two buckets of sort of when we talk to brands of maybe what's stopping them from that, um, one, we touched on it a little bit before about digitally native, but a lot of brands don't necessarily have the money, or at least they don't think they have the money, um, to do it on the retail side. Um, and we, we talk a lot about modernizing their PNL. Um, if you're a, a brand that's been around for, you know, decades, um, you've sort of optimized your P&L to a, a store side world where most of your money was to get sold in, um, maybe pallet drops or other sort of physical store things where your money's dedicated for. Uh, maybe you have the lowest cost in the industry, right? And so you're, you're getting bought in. But these D2C brands, they're used to spending a ton of money on Amazon where you literally have to buy every single one of your search placements. And their P&Ls are set up in a way that they can launch in a Target or a Walmart and they have a ton of money from day one. Um, and they are then beating, um, you know, they're beating the legacy brands um, sort of in that space. So we push our brands to sort of reevaluate and they're potentially going to need to have to sort of relook at some of their P&Ls um, and how they're shifting dollars. Uh, the other bucket is the talent side. And so, again, 
older brands or, or more established brands, um, you know, they're they're vertically siloed with their sales team, their brands team, their shopper team, and they're not necessarily set up in a way to think about, you know, did I make my sales number last week? What can I do next week to actually make it right? Like, what media can I turn on tomorrow um, that I didn't have planned to actually try to push more units up the door? Um, and that's more so how a D2C brand will think, where they're activating, you know, day in day out, whether it be on Facebook or through Amazon's tools, um, where they're living much more in the moment. Um, and the the more legacy brands are, you know, thinking in campaigns, and they're thinking three months out, six months out, twelve months out, sometimes. Um, and so we try to push our brands that way, and really sort of be a, a part of their everyday local team. Um, that's looking at sales on almost a daily week-to-week basis and doing everything you can um, in the next short-term window to push as much product as you can. You know, that's such a great point, Dave, about the sort of level of immediacy that you can act within, um, you know, and how kind of different parts of the organization or different types of organizations are sort of wired differently to think about that, right? Um, I think that's really interesting. So, uh, and that is a great segue into our next question. So um, Digits has, you guys have been able to help a lot of your brands outperform some of the market, particularly on retailers like Target, and you just release some metrics around this. So maybe can you tell us a little bit about some of those comparative metrics and what do you think were some of the major drivers to that success? Yeah, we, um, so since we view our job as sort of helping our clients grow faster, um, especially digitally, um, we released to, to LinkedIn, I put out a post, which some of my target friends always give me a little, uh, little jazz about, uh, when we put it out there. But, um, we, we try to compare ourselves, you know, when Target puts their industry metrics out, sort of where did our clients grow? Um, and Target, you know, taping this today, they, they just released their Q1 earnings and their total business, um, went up about 3% digitally and, and about 3% in store. Um, our clients went up seven times that on the digital side. So they went up 21% um, digitally and they went up nine times in store. So three times, so sort of in both. Um, so we take a lot of pride in that, that, you know, through working with our teams, through coaching them on digital best methods, through coaching them on the right way to, um, you know, set up their assortments and activate and then actually delivering, you know, pieces of that work as well, um, really helping them drive faster. So, you know, you asked about, you know, what was the big drivers? And to me, um, you know, most of our clients we've worked with for a couple of years and they, they've really built up best in class digital, you know, businesses at Target. Um, so they've got great scorecards, really good digital shelf. Um, they use the, the full, what we call the full retail media flywheel. So that's, um, you know, everything from, Having great digital shelf with the organic search, having great paid search, um, using Roundel, using third-party media, using Circle, they're kind of activating against the shopper every way along the funnel um, and measuring it all there. And so you know, that's really built up a, a nice stable digital business um, amongst uh, Target's best shoppers. And I think it, they keep those shoppers really well and they keep getting and earning new ones um, as well as it kind of is driving that uh, that benefit. Hey, let me follow up on that, Dave, for just a second. Um, you mentioned scorecards. A Target's probably best known for having robust scorecards, particularly around content, something they publish fairly regularly to their brands. Do you think that um, brands, generally speaking, are uh, are very much aligned trying to win against that, L- less so from a a chargeback stick perspective and more from a, okay, I understand it's going to drive my sales. So it's more of a carrot perspective. What are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, absolutely. And target launched 
two, maybe three years ago, a, a content scorecard, which was sort of how many pictures you should have, how many, what copy you should have, whatnot. And all the brands today get that. Um, and absolutely, like when that first launched, there were a lot of really bad scores. Um, and I'd say now there's a level of competition amongst our clients and their peer group of, you know, who can get the best ones. Right. And so, um, whether that's a, you know, hundred percent or kind of wherever you're at, um, there's a competition for us. We, we've kind of taken that one step further where, you know, the, the scorecard that target publicizes is, is very quantitative, um, where they have best methods around you know, how many and how many words, how many images we'll, we've taken it and scorecarded it for quality. So, um, to, to have that resonate with our, our clients and make a joke that I could put up pictures of my kids and it would count as green. Um, but it doesn't obviously mean the right, the right pictures for, um, you know, to try to sell a product. Right. And so that, that has seemed to resonate with some of them as, uh, the right way to try to make them the best way. So, so we'll scorecard content that way. But then the other piece of it that I think makes us pretty unique is, because we manage clients across the whole flywheel is we have a, a monthly uh, dashboard around total retail media. So it integrates your search ROAS and ROI, your uh, organic rankings and ROI, your round L search and ROI. And we pull all that together sort of in a consistent measurement methodology um, to try to evaluate your mix. And so um, while I know there's like there's search companies that do a really great job kind of managing cross retailers that way, we've almost taken the inverse approach and say, well, how do you take all of your ways to drive business at one retailer and measure them you know, sort of within that house, um, if you will, to kind of optimize that. Before we continue with this week's episode, a brief message about Next Up. Next Up is a growing community of over 14,000 professionals representing nearly 900 organizations across North America, all devoted to advancing women in business. For more information on how to get involved with Next Up, visit nextupisnow.org slash cpgguys. Don't forget to tune in to the Advancing All Women podcast on Voice America, hosted by Next Up President and CEO Sarah Alter. Listen every Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with rebroadcasts weekly on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Download episodes after they air wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, visit nextupisnow.org slash cpgguys to learn more about becoming a member of NextUp. And now, back to our CPG Guys episode, already in progress. I want to remind our audience that we are speaking today with Dave Glossa, founder and CEO of Digits Agency. Dave, my next question for you is... Uh, around retail media and the fact that it is really not the same suite of offerings across retailers. One one retailer's set of retail media capabilities is not necessarily in others. From your perspective, what are some of the core capabilities and mechanisms that you see out there that's going to probably end up drawing disproportionate investment from brands to that platform because it has those features or those capabilities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we have, we have some good experience with this too, because I, I think I said earlier that um, we, we manage first party retail media for some, for some grocery stores. We do that directly as digits. And then we have a partner called grocery key that we work with um, and help manage it kind of with them um, and their parent company point pickup. And so you know, the way I would answer that is, you know, table stakes is on-site search and display. 
right? Like brands expect to be able to show their products when somebody searches pizza, right? And be able to show their pizza items there. That, that's kind of table stakes. And it's usually the first function that's kind of rolled out and, and maximized. Um, beyond that, then it starts to go into personalized um, incentives. So we talked earlier about circle or cartwheel um, programs like that, where you can mine that intense shopper data that most brands have, uh, not most brands, most retailers have um, to then let brands activate on it. Um, that then is that next bucket. Um, and it's still a lot of it's on site. It's on platform with a, a regional shopper. But then I'd say the last one, um, you know, from the most disproportionate investment is really how are you driving traffic off site? And so we'll sort of see that with um, retailers as they get further along in their journey of launching a retail media is how do I find the shopper that's maybe three miles away from my store, but does like to come into my store, show them ads on their phone, whether it be via social or display programmatic or, or whatnot, and to try to earn um, people's business that way. So somebody's only actively shopping for maybe what, like, uh, I don't know, an hour a week or something, but they're actively on their phone 20 hours a week. Um, so how do you find them during those times um, to get your product in front of them to then come shop? So I'd kind of put it in that order, Peter, um, you know, kind of on-site lowest funnel. And then the more you can go up to funnel, up the funnel, the, the more dollars and disproportionate you can earn as, as retail media. All right, Dave, well, we're going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball and tell us what you see coming down the pipeline. So what do you think is next in retail media and in terms of what's going to be sort of appealing for the brands to grow? And do you think it's all about the digital platforms or is it broader than that? Like, what do you, what do you see coming down the pipeline? Yeah, for me, for me, I guess it's mostly all about digital just because that's that's our wheelhouse. There, there might be other things out there. Uh, I'm sure there is. Um, right. But our, our expertise is sort of on the on the on the digital side, obviously. Um, but I, I think what you'll see at like established retail media, um, Amazon's, you know, Roundell, Walmart, et cetera, is brands are going to try to start taking the reins back a little bit where they're becoming much more sophisticated um, on media. They're trying to take more ownership of, you know, which placements, what audiences, um, and try to run a little bit of that more in-house maybe than they have before, at least from uh, uh, directions and tactics. Um, and that leads into um, running their own sort of offsite media as well. And so um, we do, we've done a tunnel in the last year or two of what we call sort of like last mile media, where you're buying display programmatic media um, based on, you know, proprietary non, uh, retailer audiences. So like, how are you, how are you taking some of that, um, job that you were using retail media for, bring it in your own house, your own agencies, um, and use that as a compliment, um, to the, the retailer side, um, because it's gotten so big now that brands want to diversify. They don't want to only play with, you know, the brands in-house. They want to do their own, own house as well. Um, so we're seeing that grow quite a bit. Um, beyond that, a couple other interesting things that are probably a little more crystal ball, a little more futuristic. Um, well, I guess the first one's not too crystally, but um, we're seeing a lot more video. So I, I know you're very close to Amazon, but you search on Amazon now and you'll see sort of pre-roll videos in the search results, right? Kind of helping to explain a product or show a little bit about it. Um, that That is not widely used, especially in the grocer world. And you're seeing um, that kind of being talked about more. And so I think in the more shorter term newness, that'll be coming out um, and rolling out more, which is pretty exciting. 
Um, and then longer term, what really intrigues me and what I'm trying to probably figure out the right way for us to help brands with um, is like live shopping and sort of like influencer shopping. And so how do you, you know, how do you organize it? It's so fragmented, right? Across all these influencers that are maybe driving a couple units a piece um, is how do you organize that, manage that, measure that, use that in your best advantage? Um, whether it's brands doing live shopping themselves or retailers doing it digitally or through influencers, I, I'm not sure the the output yet, but that area sort of intrigues me. I keep trying to find smart people in the space to figure out how we can get involved and help our brands sort of in that space. Yeah, the challenging thing, I think, with some, I mean, retail or influencers are sort of the new retailers, right? And but how do you scale it? I think that's the hard, the hard part that you kind of just touched on. I, I couldn't agree more about that. So, Dave, in your work with Target for all these years, both there and certainly since you founded Digits, it's hard to deny that probably they are at the forefront of bringing into physical retail some of these digitally native brands. So my question to you is, if if a digitally native brand wants to scale, is does that necessarily mean they have to go into physical retail? And, and what, are the, what are the drivers behind that? I think for the vast, vast majority of them, the answer is yes. Um, unless you are uh, a unicorn in the space, right? If you're the equivalent of a Nike, uh, but obviously on, on a startup side, right? It's um, the way I think of it is it is in incredibly expensive and exhausting to drive 100% of your own traffic to your site. Like if the only way anybody knows about your product is through a Facebook ad or, or TV ads or whatever, and they're all just on your own site and everybody has to go there and find it for you to try to be a multi-billion dollar brand is you have to be incredibly good um, at marketing or you have to have the world's most amazing product. Um, and so while I think it's really great for most brands to sort of start that way um, and build their following to, to continue to scale, you have to piggyback on somebody else's traffic. Um, and even though I talked before about target, you know, how do you thought exercise, think of it like a warehouse? I mean, at the end of the day, it's not, there's millions of people walking through the door every day. Um, and so how do you get your products in those stores, um, to take advantage of that traffic and not have to be the sole traffic driver as an organization? So, so yeah, I think they do, unless, you know, maybe one out of a hundred is positioned in a way that they don't have to do that, but I'd have to imagine most do. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, okay. The customer experience on some of these major omni-channel grocery retail sites outside of Walmart and Target is not really comparable from a number of, in a number of ways, sort of from content to personalization to, you know, all of the whole um, shopper experience and shopper journey. So do you agree with that? And what do you think has to happen to get some of these other retailers up to speed? Um, yes, yes, I definitely do agree with that. I think um, more of the more regional grocers, or even some of the national grocers, um, you know, have some have some way to, to catch up, sort of on the UX side, and you know, trying to explain that a little bit. I, I think um, big omni retailers like a Target or a Walmart, you know, they don't just sell boxes of cereal; they they sell. $100 TVs and mixers and clothes and stuff that requires, you know, more of a, a sales pitch. So I think they're naturally set up to just have really good UX and better product content. Um, when you're moving more to a traditional grocer that they haven't really focused on that yet. And so 
Um, when we work through some of them and talk to them, there's kind of two buckets, you know, we talk about at least as far as UX. Um, one is how are they saving the shopper time, um, specifically through sort of a repeat purchase? Um, and you know, my whole goal of doing digital groceries is to save myself time. Um, and so if it's taking me 20 minutes to create a hundred dollar basket on my phone, then I maybe should have just gone into the store and bought it because I know where it is. Right. Um, and at least feels that way as a shopper. So, um, investing in sort of repeat purchases, buy it again, build a basket, whatever sort of UX really helps brands, um, and helps the stores make that quicker, I think is, is priority number one. Um, second to that, while I, while I hit on speed, I think what's going to turn up into a problem for the industry and um, is more of the discovery side. So we were talking about, you know, live shopping and influencers, but how do you bring that into the everyday, you know, app shopping experience? Um, that's something I think even the big, big retailers haven't figured out. Um, and you can see them testing stuff a lot, but um, so much of the focus has been around repetitiveness and speed that um, people get into sort of a, a digital bubble of just buying what you've historically bought. Um, and I think, I think the market is ready for some sort of opportunity that um, will show more new products. That's beyond just a pay-per-click search, you know, static image that you know a brand may be trying to buy. But where's the the fun part about shopping? Um, kind of the digital equivalent of the the joke that people like to walk around a Target store for hours just for fun for like a date. But like, what's the digital equivalent of that? Um, and I don't know if anybody's quite figured that out yet. But there's something there. Um, that, that would be sort of interesting um, as that, that scales out. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I heard on one of Target's earning calls, they said that I think it was like 60 or 70% of the shoppers that do buy online pickup in store, pick up the order, park the car and go into the store because it's such a it's such a engaging shopping experience. Um, and who knows, maybe they forgot something too, but I, I do think it has something to do with store design and shopper journey and customer experience and all of those things. Andrea, to add on that, um, Dave, your old friend Harvey Ma was down in Orlando this week at the Nielsen Consumer 360 conference. By the way, he asked me to say hi to you. I told him that I was going to be talking to you. But the stat that Nielsen shows from their data is that for, for buy online, pick up and store or curbside grocery, 22%, 22% of transactions are followed by a visit into the store to get something beyond what they ordered for click and click. That is remarkable, isn't it? As a shopper of one, I know that's me. Um, And I was literally sitting in a, in a target drive up spot, I think yesterday and was watching people do that exactly. Um, And that's why a lot of the stores now have like 18 spots. I think because somebody pulls into the drive up, will leave their car there and, you know, go in store. So they had to, they had to expand from four spots to 18 because it's turned into a half parking lot. So, you know, I, I do want to say that I, I, as much as a lot of these retailers want to think about live streaming and video, just getting some of the block and tackle is still desperately needed. Like the Baymart Institute, which is probably the foremost authority in research on product page performance, tells us that the single most important part of the product page is the image carousel. If you still don't have an image carousel, you have a static single image. Wow, what does that tell you, right? And if you're not if you're not into uh, user generated content, guess what? There's a company out in Seattle that'll take people right from your store because people are going to open up their app and they're going to look and they may just order it right from there. So I th- I think there's still a lot 
to your point to be done. Hey, Dave, uh, I want to do, I do want to ask you one more question that I thought of while we were talking. I think it's pretty important is um, from your perspective, and I, I think you can answer this very easily, but from your perspective, you know, what, what are, you know, a few of the driving reasons behind, behind why brands want to work with digits agencies to, uh, with, di- let me restate that. What are a couple of the key reasons why brands would like to work with Digits Agency to improve their business on Target and some of those regional grocery players as well? Yeah, great, great question, Peter. Um, that obviously we have positioned ourselves um, as sort of the foremost digital experts, you know, at Target, um, and how do we? How are we the smartest people in the room with Target to bring all of your tactics together on digital? and make it easy uh, for the brands. Um, there's a ton of smart people running businesses at Target, um, but a lot of them are asked to do 50 or 100 different things a day. And there aren't that many people that have spent you know years working on digital specifically in like an omni-channel space. Um, and how do we... How do we do that and bring them that level of expertise, you know, day one easily as an outside agency? Um, and I guess that's it, to upgrade the level of expertise in a way um, and help them get more out of their money and drive business um, is the biggest value we bring um, in for those brands. I want to remind our audience uh, that you should visit cpgguys.com where you'll find links to our podcast and over 40 platforms, links to our social media, to our LinkedIn profile, some other content. It's all free. Just make sure to do that. And also, of course, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, stop by LinkedIn, look for CPG guys and follow us. It's where you'll find the latest in thought leadership and there's no cost to it. So Dave, I want to thank you so much for speaking with Andrew and me talking about um, something that is uh, obviously near and dear to all our hearts, which is retail media, but also from a target perspective, because we've had quite a number of other retailers on to join us. Uh, we ha- Target has not been one that we've we've explored specifically. Uh, to my friend Sarah, who I know listens to this podcast, come on, are you ready to talk to us yet? We want to talk to you. Come on. Uh, no, she's, she's wonderful. We talk on email all the time. But Sarah Roundell, you are welcome to come join us anytime you want. But Dave, thank you for helping uh, bring another perspective to this ongoing conversation. We're really grateful. Great. I love being here. Thanks, guys. All right. Andrea, why don't you let me let me throw it to you because I know you've been uh, furiously scribbling down some notes. Would love key takeaways from this conversation from your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, Dave, thanks for your time and for sharing your perspective with us. Um, this is such a hot topic right now. I mean, it's it's pretty much the top thing that most manufacturers want to talk about, that ask, ask me a lot of questions about. Um, but the things that kind of stood out to me from the conversation were, first, you kind of talked about the retail media flywheel. And I think that's so important to kind of make sure that for every brand, they're sort of defining what that means for them and, and um, you know, figuring out what the right inputs are to that, to that flywheel in order to drive success. Um, I think it was interesting when you talked about how digitally native brands aren't necessarily more poised to win. Um, they definitely don't have more money 
all the time, but they're, they're definitely a little bit more set up for success in being digital first from a mindset perspective, from like a staffing perspective, all of those things. And then also from just their ability to move really quickly. You know, we talked, you talked about how it's such a fast moving space and some of the larger organizations are often thinking like two or three months down the line versus maybe a more digitally native, um, or, brand that's thinking like a week or two or even a couple of days, what can you impact right now? Uh, And that importance of immediacy. And then, I mean, it came up a few times in a lot of your answers, but just like really the importance of some of those retail basics to like getting the right customer experience to succeed in omni-channel and kind of, even before you start thinking about that retail media flywheel, really some of those, those basics of, um, of driving success. So those are some of the things that, that stood out to me. Um, and in this fast changing and dynamic, uh, space and conversation with Dave. So thank you so much. All right, Andrea, thanks. That is great. And I really appreciate you joining me. And, uh, I, you know what, I may have to give Shri a hip check every once in a while and make that seat open. Cause I thought you did a great job today. So thanks as always for your participation in the fresh four. And it was great to have you on the CPG guys podcast today. Thanks for having me. And to our audience, want to thank you as always for joining us on this journey. And we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Goodbye. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.